0: This is episode number 70 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, Individual Number One is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because, unfortunately, no one else... Is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. Yes, this is a program where the truth actually still matters. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter. <clears throat> Our Twitter handle is at individual one pod. That's individual the number one pod, as is almost always the case. A lot to get to. I had actually thought. About taking this weekend off, but there was just way too much to discuss and my conscience would not allow me to do that. So uh, we have a full episode of the Individual One podcast for you on uh, this uh, Sunday, November 17, 2019. Obviously the first week of the public hearings into the impeachment inquiry of uh, Donald Trump completed this week and I guess a lot of the attention, and there were three major witnesses in the public, Uh, a lot of the attention has gone to uh, Friday's witness was Ambassador uh, Yovanovitch, who uh, used to be the ambassador to the Ukraine. She was relieved of her duties, which, as the Republicans will tell you constantly, is perfectly within the rights of the president to do. Yes, that's 100 percent true. Yes, uh, Donald Trump had every right to recall Ambassador Yovanovitch. However, Just like he had the theoretical right to fire James Comey and the theoretical right as an FBI director, and the theoretical right to fire Jeff Sessions as Attorney General, it is still perfectly fair game to interpret those actions as evidence, one, of obstruction of justice, and two, of a, a need to cover up for a nefarious plot. doesn't prove it, but I would suggest that all three of those actions are a thousand percent consistent with larger theories of different circumstances, two of them dealing mostly with the Russian investigation and this one uh, with the Ambassador Yovanovitch. With regard to what happened with Ukraine and the extortion effort to try to get them to investigate or pretend to investigate the former Vice President Joe Biden in exchange for getting their military aid, which had already been approved by the United States Congress. You cannot be serious. Yeah, that's that's what the allegation is. And that's what the evidence is quickly proving actually did happen. So. So it's, yes, it's, it's perfectly fine for the Trump sycophants to say he had the right to do this. Yep, yep, he had the right. But we're still allowed to interpret that action when trying to build a circumstantial case for uh, ill motives in a corrupt scheme. And what's most interesting about uh, the Yovanovitch, uh, if you want to call it firing, is that there There does not seem to be the theory, at least within her testimony, at least according to her, that this was directly as a result of her being a problem, being an impediment, to the so-called quid pro quo or bribery scheme involving the Ukrainian government. I mean, that would be the, the natural reaction, right? Oh, he must have gotten rid of her because she was in the way of this Biden scheme. That would make the most sense, right? Correct. Well, that's not apparently, at least not what she believes happens. As she believes that she was more of an impediment to these goons that were associates of Rudy Giuliani trying to uh, do whatever corrupt scheme they were up to, and that this was essentially a favor to Rudy Giuliani and these goons. And the the goons uh, are becoming a larger and larger part of this story. If no other reason, then Donald Trump claimed to not even know them. Right? That's the typical response whenever someone close to Trump uh, needs to be thrown under the bus. The first attempt is, oh, I barely even know these guys. Right? Well, the evidence that that's absurd. Is now voluminous, correct? Uh, and in fact, he knew them very well. And in fact, uh, there were numerous events where they were together, including uh, sometimes when they were alone together. The Trump, uh, President Trump, along with uh, these goons and Giuliani. Giuliani appears to have gotten himself uh, at least wa- waist deep in some sort of corrupt scheme involving these goons and uh and who are are you know i mean this this whole thing uh as is, is often the case with trump there's so many different aspects to it it almost works to trump 's benefit because it gets confusing and it, it it no longer is as simplified as you know a, you know some situation where it 's just a quid pro quo. Uh, the real scam here might have uh, have multiple heads, and one of them is with regard to Giuliani running this shadow secretary of State situation where he 's running this shadow diplomacy. I wouldn't even call it diplomacy, this attempt to scam Ukraine into doing the bidding for the Trump campaign, and it appears for his own selfish purposes that are probably dealing with money. Money is the root of all evil. Always follow the money. And it appears as if that's what's happened here. But Trump's legendary memory. See, that's the thing that that is so hilarious about this. Trump tells us constantly he has a legendary memory, yet he can never remember anybody who's close to him. Uh, He couldn't remember anything he told Robert Mueller in his written answers approved by his lawyers. His go-to response whenever he's in trouble is, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't remember. Uh, I don't know who these people are. This person was just a coffee boy. And that's just all bull. Bullshit. Correct. This is all a lie. It's a lie by Trump. Uh, to, and he's, that's all he has. That's all he can do. That's the last bastion of liars. I can't remember. Uh, and that's what Trump is doing here. So Ivanovich uh, was the person whose testimony uh, came on Friday and a lot of the attention was focused on the fact that part of what she was testifying to was that Trump had made her life miserable that Trump had intimidated her uh, publicly and uh, and lo and behold right in the middle of this testimony what does Trump do he tweets a way that is, uh, frankly, intimidating and attacks her and blames her for things that she could not possibly have any responsibility for. Now, there are some who have tried to claim that this tweet is not that big of a deal, that it's not uh, inherently uh, criminal, it's not impeachable in and of itself. Democrats were saying that this should be filed under the incredibly large... (laughs) the incredibly large body of evidence of uh, obstruction of, of justice, or in this particular case, under obstruction of justice, witness tampering. And, you know, I'm someone who believes that Trump has gotten uh, let off the hook on this whole realm. We forget that during the Paul Manafort trial, this is just amazing to me. It's just, there's so many things that are just utterly ridiculous in this whole uh, situation. It's just flat out ridiculous. One of the the ones that really sticks in my mind is something that got zero attention, and that is the Paul Manafort jury is deliberating. They are not sequestered, which means they, they have total access to their phones, Twitter feeds, news accounts, all of this. And the President of the United States... The President of the United States went out of his way to condemn Paul Manafort's prosecution and to support him personally on Twitter. I'm sorry, uh, the President of the United States, his words are way more powerful than that of just, uh, you know, what Trump seems to think of himself as, which is as a right-wing commentator. He has enormous power behind those words. One of those powers, by the way, is the pardon power. So when he is doing something in a positive direction towards someone who's being accused, it has incredible influence over them because he has the ability to pardon them in these situations. It also works in reverse with regard to you, You know what else he has? He has a cult. He has a cult of crazy things fucking morons. I love the poorly educated. Who have shown themselves to be willing and able to make people's lives miserable and maybe even at the very least threaten physical attacks against them. And here this little old lady is who's devoted her life to to serving America in, in the State Department in, overseas in some really horrible places. Now she has to live especially now that she's testifying publicly in front of millions of people. Everyone knows who she is. They know her name. They know her face. Now her life can be very negatively impacted by that tweet by the president of the United States because now he's making her an enemy. And that means she's an enemy of the people, the people meaning the Trump cult. I love the poorly educated. That has impact. That is huge impact, not just on her life, but guess what? On anybody else who's thinking about testifying. Can you not see this? This is, this is the way the mob works. This is Donnie Soprano. This is the way it works in Trump's world. And it's effective. Now, it wasn't effective on Yovanovitch. And to be clear, she has no direct evidence of this extortion, bribery, quid pro quo scheme, whatever you want to call it, with Ukraine. However, her story is circumstantial evidence of other things that are going on here. She's a piece of the puzzle, and let's face it, she's a sympathetic witness to all but the most ardent Colt 45 members. Uh, you know, for, So for the 60 to 70 percent of the country that's still semi-rational, she... Is a sympathetic witness, and I thought she did a pretty good job. Now the Trump cult won't tell you that. The Trump cult will tell you that uh, she got uh, destroyed, and uh, of course, one of those people who was trying to destroy her uh, was Jim Jordan, and uh, and and also this Elsie uh, Stefanik. Boy, oh boy, uh, you know Jim Jordan. Nothing is expected from, him. Um, but Elsie Stefanik was somebody. That even never Trump Republicans had some respect for, you know. But before before I get into the Republican attempts to destroy her and all of these good people who have testified so far in the impeachment trial, I want to play for you a clip from Nancy Pelosi on the Trump tweet because this is important. And I, you know, there's so many aspects of this Alice in Wonderland existence we're now living through that is so mind-boggling. But for me, one of them is looking at Nancy Pelosi, for whom I have great disdain uh, and I've always been a bit afraid of because uh, she's a socialist nut job, seeing Nancy Pelosi and also Barack Obama, a guy who I made a movie about called Media Malpractice, how Obama got elected back in 2008, 2009. Uh, you know, I never hated Obama, but uh, the idea that Obama is the, the voice of reason, which he did again this week, saying the Democrats really ought to calm the hell down on this uh, progressive baloney and, and consider what the voters want. The idea that Nancy Pelosi and Barack Obama are now the voices of reason within the Democratic Party and, and people with whom I often agree, well, that's just it's just flat out ridiculous. But that, that's where we are. Uh, but this is Nancy Pelosi, boy, this is good, I gotta tell you, as, a, as an anti-Trump person, this is about as good as it gets. This is Nancy Pelosi very calmly and very deliberately just slicing and dicing Trump's ego into tiny little pieces with regard to this issue of the tweet that he sent during Ambassador Yovanovitch's testimony. The White House said it was just his opinion. He wasn't trying to intimidate. What do you think? The president and perhaps some at the White House have to know that the words of the president weigh a ton. They are very significant, and uh, he should not frivolously throw out insults. But that's what he does. I think part of it is his own insecurity as an imposter. I think he knows full well that he's in that office way over his head, and so he has to diminish everyone else. Ouch. That left the mark. Uh, an imposter who is in way over his head. Correct. Uh, which I agree with. I, I, and I do think that that uh, is, is going to piss off uh, Donald Trump. I mean, he, he did end up going to the hospital the next day. Uh, <laughs> we don't know whether or not that was related or not. I'll talk about that uh, briefly. But uh, that one left a mark. And uh, and I think she's right. And it's pathetic that I think Nancy Pelosi is right. And I'm even I'm even playing her as a credible source on uh, an internationally distributed podcast, which is a very strange world we're living in now. Now, as far as the Republican responses, they have been uh, just embarrassing. Uh, they have been almost universally not based in fact, in truth, in logic. They have all been about uh, creating a sideshow. And the two people who created the biggest sideshow, uh, at least on Friday and, and most of this week, were Jim Jordan and Elsie Stefanik. Now, Jordan is a guy who I have defended, unfortunately, in the Ohio State what I believe to be bogus sex abuse scandal involving uh, wrestlers from 30 years ago. Jim Jordan was a Ohio State wrestler and an assistant coach at Ohio State. I think that they are using his name simply to try to pressure Ohio State into uh, giving away free money because they know the media will report anything negative about Jim Jordan because he's a prominent Trump supporter and the media uh, hates him for that. Uh, I regret my support for Jim – def- not support, my defense of Jim Jordan, not because it's wrong factually, but because this guy is just a tool. Uh, you look up tool in the dictionary, and it's Jim Jordan. And, uh, and one of the ways that he has become a complete hypocrite of many in this entire impeachment process is at the beginning of this whole thing, he said the whistleblower was irrelevant. Because the whistleblower had no direct knowledge, right? They keep telling you, well, this is all hearsay, double hearsay, triple hearsay, quadruple hearsay, well, some of which is an accurate uh, concern, but it appears to be a concern that's going to be cleaned up by future Uh, But uh, Jim Jordan's view was the whistleblower is irrelevant because uh, they didn't witness anything directly. Now the whistleblower, because what the whistleblower has alleged has been backed up by numerous people very, very close to Trump, now they've totally changed their tune. Now the whistleblower is everything. Now the whistleblower has to testify publicly. Now the whistleblower has to be outed. Now uh, Lindsey Graham says he won't even support a trial unless the whistleblower testifies. Why? Well, because they know, one, that's unlikely to happen and they can create this narrative of what are they hiding? Why is the person not wanting their identity known? Well, uh, the entire whistleblower law is based upon the concept that uh, they are protected and that their anonymity is protected so that they don't uh, endure repercussions either personally or professionally, for having blown the whistle on potential criminal acts. That's the essence of the whole damn law. And they know this. They know this. But they also know that the Trump cult is too dumb to figure this out or to care I love the poorly educated and so they're just trying to fool the cult that's all they're trying to do is if they can create a conspiracy theory or some doubt oh this whistleblower and they can throw out he worked with Biden we don't know we don't know anything about the whistleblower for sure I have no doubt that at some point someone in the government worked with the vice president of the United States for the for eight years in recent memory I mean, so that that's, that shouldn't be shocking to anybody. Uh, what that means, who the hell knows? But all they need is this whistleblower to, to have been, who have, to have uh, given twenty-five dollars to the Obama campaign. And in the cult's mind, uh, their credibility is already shot. Even though they are irrelevant now, it doesn't matter who the whistleblower is. It's all been verified. It's all m- multiple times by numerous witnesses. They're just the ones that started the investigation. And in fact, much like Robert Mueller turned out to be Donald Trump's best friend, and we're learning more and more about that on almost a, a weekly basis, if not a daily basis this week, and I'll discuss that in a little bit again, but uh, the whistleblower is also turning out to be Donald Trump's best friend, not by, by, by virtue of them doing anything wrong, but by virtue of the fact that they stopped this. They stopped the scam. Had they not come forward when they did, the scam would have gone forward. Uh, uh, the Ukrainian government would have announced on CNN some bogus investigation. And, uh, and at that point, Trump couldn't claim and the sycophants couldn't claim, well, this was you know something that never even happened. There was no harm, no foul. Baloney. I don't buy that theory to begin with, but they couldn't have even made that argument if the whistleblower didn't come forward when they did. And so the whistleblower, because of their, the mystery surrounding them and the anonymity and the, the inherent suspect nature of that in the minds of, of Cult 45 members, not to mention having broken up this, what I refer to as a burglary in the middle of it, so that it's an attempted burglary instead of an actual burglary, may have actually saved Trump. I mean, everything about this is upside down, at least through the prism of the state-run conservative media and Cult 45. But Jim Jordan, was trying to make the argument that this whole thing is bogus and the whistleblower needs to testify. And as he was making the argument that the whistleblower needs to testify, he ended his remarks this way and then... (laughs) You know, conservatives love, love the owning of the libs, slam dunking people with with uh, catchy sound bites. I mean, my gosh, that's really what the conservative Twitter is now. I mean, just owning the libs over anything. But here, uh, Jim Jordan gets owned by Democrat Peter Welch after jordan finishes his comments about why the whistleblower needs to testify and 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 jordan had already said that the person who started this whole thing the whistleblower needs to testify the person who started all this the whistleblower needs to testify so here's the end of what jordan said and what democrat peter welch followed up with the american people see through all this they understand the facts support the president they understand this process is unfair And they see through the whole darn sham. With that, I yield back. Mr. Welch. Uh, Thank you. I say to my colleague, I'd be glad to have uh, the the person who started it all come in and testify. Uh, President Trump is welcome uh, to take a seat right there. (laughs) That was pretty good from a Democratic perspective. Democrats aren't usually good at at that kind of thing. But that one, uh, that also left the mark on Jim Jordan because it was President Trump, who started this, and the last person who will ever testify on anything is Donald Trump, because Donald Trump is a coward correct donald trump did not testify for robert Mueller. he as he promised that he would correct and instead he put forward after several months of negotiating some bogus written responses uh, approved by and probably written by his lawyers where he said dozens of times i don't recall correct which was all bullshit it was all a lie Trump is a pathological liar who, if he was under oath for even a few minutes, would perjure himself uh, in dramatic fashion. And I I would argue, and the Roger Stone trial, which finished up this week, and again, I'll get to that, uh, I promise, I believe proved that Donald Trump lied in those written answers, which ought to be in an article of impeachment, uh, because that was effectively perjury as well. But this whole whistleblower issue is complete bullcrap, uh, and it's all part of the intimidation campaign. They, they want to make life as miserable as possible for everyone involved with this uh, because they know that there are several people who are still sitting on the fence, who are currently on the sidelines, and whether or not they decide to testify is going to be based upon a couple of things. Number one, how much crap are they going to take for this? How much are their lives going to be impacted if they go ahead and do the right thing? And also, is it going to have any real impact? Are they going to give up their careers or their lives for Trump to be just impeached and then quickly acquitted in the Senate? All of this matters. It's a momentum the perception that Trump is going to survive this and still be president of the United States is, is probably his greatest weapon because no one wants to go up against that. And unfortunately, there's a logic to that if self-preservation is your goal. So very, 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 very few people are going to do anything that's against their own self-interest. They're just not. Older people, uh, you know, they, they don't want that to be the last chapter of their lives. Younger people have too much to live for, uh, too much of a future. It is just, it's just not who we are as a people anymore. Our founding fathers kind of counted on there being people like that, but they don't exist anymore. At least they're very, very, very few and far between. Justin Amash is about the only one so far uh, that we have seen. Now, uh, Justin Amash is a colleague of Elsie Stefanik and used to be considered in that same category, Republicans who could be respected. Well, Amash went one direction, (laughs) respected on Trump, I mean, Amash went one direction and left the party. Stefanik now decided that these hearings in front of millions of people, this was going to be her moment. To, uh, to show the world how loyal to Donald Trump she is, because she's been criticized by uh, Trump supporters as not being nearly loyal enough. She was considered by never Trumpers to be a potential star of a post Trump uh, political party. Well, that all went to hell uh, in the last couple of days. Uh, she went after Ivanovich. Uh, but more, which I don't mind. I mean, she went after her on some bullcrap. She, she pulled this stunt where uh, she referenced the fact that Jovanovic uh, had been asked a practice question uh, long ago by an Obama lawyer involving uh, the Bidens and Burisma and corruption. That doesn't prove anything. The, the proof of that supposedly is, aha, see, the Obama administration knew this was going to be a problem uh, years ago, and that makes it a real problem. no a practice. uh, Here's what a practice Q&A is. You're preparing them for the bullshit that the other side's going to hit them with. That's what the question was about, because it was bullshit that somebody on the Obama side anticipated might be something she would be hit with. That's perfectly logical. But of course, she's not appealing to logical people. She's appealing to the Trump cult. I love the poorly educated. And that's what runs politics now, at least on the Republican side. But the real thing that uh, Stefanik did is that she uh, joined in with Devin Nunez, who's just the worst of the worst, uh, who is the uh, the ranking member uh, of the Intelligence Committee. He's the minority leader of the Intelligence Committee in the House. Uh, Devin Nunez is. She engaged in a conspiracy With Nunez, and that's what this was a conspiracy with Nunez to create the impression that Adam Schiff, the head of the Intelligence Committee, was preventing her, a woman. That's right. A woman was being prevented from speaking. She was being gagged, which almost sounds like she was being raped. Right? I mean, in this day and age, so Adam Schiff was gagging this woman, uh, Elsie Stefanik, who just wants to be heard in in defense of the president of the United States. It's all bullcrap. The rules could not be more clear, and they knew this, but they also knew that Schiff was going to look like uh, uh, the bad guy because Schiff was going to have to, and he could not, if, if Schiff lets this go at the beginning of the hearing where the rules don't matter, then he can never say later on in the hearing, I'm sorry, this is against procedure, this is against the rules. So once you let it go, once you give them an inch, they're gonna take a mile. And they know, Schiff knows this. So they know that what's gonna happen is at the beginning of this hearing on national television, it's gonna look like this, uh, you know, Adam Schiff, who, who, by the way, it's it's just amazing to me that Republicans have gotten to the point where the the greatest argument we have against Adam Schiff, and I say, we because I used to be a republican I don't know what the hell I am now but the, the greatest argument against anthony shift is his last name sort of sounds like shit i mean that, that i mean that that's it that's where we've gone to we're now like in the second fucking grade the second grade with regard to discourse as i curse myself but i'm on a on a private podcast i mean i have seen oh my god the number of references and 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 emails asking for money, uh, referencing Adam Shit. Uh, I mean, he was very close. I mean, even Trump has done this. Trump himself, the president of the United States, has made light of the fact that Adam Schiff's name sounds like shit, and that somehow that has some relevance to uh, any of this. But this whole thing where Schiff was uh, shutting down this stunt from Stefanik uh, was was exactly that. It was just a stunt. And the weirdest part about this to me is that this is a liberal stunt! This is something that liberals do. Correct. They play the female card to make it look like oh you're you're keeping down the woman. You're gagging a woman. You're raping a woman. No, we're following the damn rules and you are exploiting the stupidity of Trump supporters. And did it work for her? It absolutely worked for her because guess what happened today? After fundraising like three or four times off of this episode, I mean she literally tweeted her her attacks on shift, and her performance at the uh, the committee hearings, she literally tweeted a fundraising plea on at least three or four occasions. She's directly fundraising off of this bogus stunt that she did. It's all contrived. It's all conspiracy. And then today, guess what happened? Donald Trump tweeted a video of her at the hearing saying, quote, a new Republican star is born. You cannot be serious. And seen. It's all a reality show. It's all an act. It's all gig preservation. The truth has nothing to do with it. So now she has been anointed officially. She, the, the, the president of the United States or their their cult god king, has officially uh, anointed her as a being absolved from her past Trump sins, and now she has been embraced as a new Republican star. And the most offensive part of that to me is the definition of Republican star. Republican star is now someone who is willing to lie on behalf of Trump. Someone who's willing to engage in bullcrap liberal stunts to protect Trump from obvious abuse of power. That's the definition of a Republican star. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. And you know what the most remarkable part of this is? Is that if you think about this semi-logically, and I know that logic is dead, I realize that facts and details don't matter, but uh, boy, I, I've driven a lot of Trump fans crazy making this point numerous times in the last couple of days. The number one lesson from the Republican side that I have learned in the first week of impeachment is, man, do Republicans hate Vice President Mike Pence. My God, they must loathe him with a white-hot passion. Why? Why? Because if Republicans did not defend Donald Trump, and they simply said, you know what, this was wrong, and this was uh, clearly impeachable, and we're going to stand up for the rule of law, and we're going to do our jobs, And uh, we're going to allow Trump to be impeached without any of the bull crap, without any sideshows. And then in the Senate, we're actually going to look at the evidence, and we're going to uh, come to a verdict based upon logic and the Constitution and precedent and facts, and we're going to remove him from office. If that all happened, guess what the result would be? The result would be not an overturning of an election. Okay, we've I've heard this numerous times by even Trump. Bill Barr, the Attorney Frickin General, gave a speech late this week implying that this whole impeachment thing is uh, is usurping the will of the voters. That somehow this is overturning an election. Uh, Nikki Haley said this. You know, seemingly good, smart people, or at least formerly thought to be good, smart people, are making this argument. It is not remotely true. It doesn't overturn an election. The Congress is exactly the same as it was in the last election. The Senate is exactly the same. The presidency will be still held by the same party. It will be Mike Pence as president, not Nancy Pelosi, not Chuck Schumer, not even Joe Biden not Elizabeth Warren it would be Mike Pence that's why there's a vice presidency slot on the ballot that's why you voted that's if you voted for Trump you also voted for Mike Pence i mean it's hilarious to me you know when you think about this whole issue Trump is a guy who used to do beauty pageants and the whole the whole beauty pageant structure is based upon the idea that if, when you do Miss Universe, if uh, you know, the, the woman from one country is unable to perform her duties, whatever the hell they are, guess what happens? The first runner up is the new Miss Universe. And this has happened before. Nobody says, oh my God, you're overturning the will of the judges <laughs> in these beauty pageants. That's just the structure of this. We have set this up so that if something goes wrong, if someone dies, or if they prove that they have disqualified themselves in their office, we have an orderly transition of power. And it's a Republican who was elected along with Trump. It was Trump's choice. Trump chose who should take over for me. Should I not be able to perform my duties as Miss Universe? <laughs> That's what this is. And 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 I would make an argument that Republicans across the board would actually be in better shape in 2020 if Mike Pence was at the top of the ticket. Now, obviously, that would depend on how the Trump cult handled this and how Trump handled this. I mean, so if Trump decided he was going to cause massive problems for his former vice president, then that would be an issue. But if you look at the Nixon precedent, you know, Nixon resigned. Gerald Ford became president. Nixon went away and stayed quiet. And Ford almost won in 1976. Amazingly, just two years later. and And that was after pardoning Nixon. So it makes no sense to me, from a political standpoint, why it is that Republicans are so against this idea of making Mike Pence the president of the United States. He actually agrees with them on, on policy, a heck of a lot more than Donald Trump does, a lot more. That's because what's really happening here is that the Republican Party has been become a hostage of the cult, the cult 45. I love the poorly educated. And so they're not even thinking about Mike Pence. And they're just using these bogus arguments that don't even pass, uh, you know, fifth or sixth grade social studies class. That somehow this is overturning an election or the will of the people. And by the way, uh, the will of the people Uh, really—three more, three million more people voted for Hillary Clinton in the last election in this country than voted for Donald Trump. You might be able to argue the will of the Electoral College, but that's a totally different. Situation: This idea that somehow the people's will would be overturned is garbage. Especially since it would be Mike Pence who replaced Donald Trump, and not somebody from the other party. Now, I I have to mention, and in a way, I'm being a hypocrite myself because I've I've waited uh, you know about forty minutes or whatever it is into this podcast to mention that Roger Stone got convicted this week, and and this is being completely lost. I mean, it is it is absolutely stupefying. It is absolutely unbelievable that that Roger Stone got convicted during a recess in the impeachment hearings. They went back live on ABC, NBC, and CBS, the three major television networks in the United States of America. And while I was flipping back and forth, I did not see even one mention of the fact that Roger Stone, Trump's political godfather, Trump's longtime friend, Trump's original campaign manager, was convicted on all counts of lying to Congress, not about some ancillary issue. No, no, no. This was about his role in the WikiLeaks situation, which in my mind is as close as we have gotten to proof of collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. I mean, and and the and the networks didn't even mention this. It just flat out ridiculous. I, 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 even though the timing was perfect, I mean, I mean, it's just so mind blowing. I, we we now have Trump's campaign chairman during a critical time of the 2016 election, Paul Manafort in prison. We have his original campaign manager, Roger Stone, going to prison. We have his personal lawyer, Michael Cohen in prison, not to mention numerous other associates of Trump. and yet I will guarantee you that a majority of the American people have no idea the de- anywhere close to the details of the relevance of, of Roger Stone being convicted on these perjury charges and going to prison. I mean to me, when you look at the details of this, it, of course it takes a couple of logical uh, assumptions. Number one is that in this situation, WikiLeaks is Russia. Everyone looks at this as WikiLeaks is working on behalf of Russia, that Russia used WikiLeaks essentially as the plausible deniability, as the filter through which these emails became public. But what we now know from the Roger Stone trial and from the convictions of Roger Stone because he got convicted of lying about this to Congress is that the Trump campaign had advanced knowledge of all this. Stone was the conduit. Stone had direct communication according to the deputy campaign manager of the Trump organization. this was these, these are not Democrats these are people who had who, who testified to direct communication between Stone and Trump about the emails and advanced communication and coordination with WikiLeaks. That's Russian collusion if you use your freaking brain. And, and somehow... This has been uh, downplayed by the, the news media, even the anti-Trump uh, news media. I don't know if it's because of their ignorance, whether they don't feel like they can juggle uh, more than one ball at a time, uh, whether or not uh, it's just old news in their minds. I don't know. I don't even have a theory about it. It makes no damn sense to me. And, and then there's Trump's reaction to the verdict. This is also amazing. So many of these things. This one thing I'm about to tell you if Barack Obama did it, this would be uh, fodder for the right-wing, state-run, now, a conservative quote-unquote news media for at least a week, if not more. If not more. This would be—this might even be on Obama's tombstone in the conservative media. So his—if if, Brock, imagine this. Barack Obama's original campaign manager, longtime friend, gets convicted— By the federal government. This is the United States of America against Roger Stone. He gets convicted by the federal government of lying to the United States Congress in a way that was clearly intended to protect Donald Trump from allegations of his campaign colluding with Russia. (laughs) Right there, my God. Okay, pretend all that happened. And then Obama tweeted... His first words in the tweet were, so they now convict, Roger Stone. So they now convict. I, um, and I tweeted about this uh, uh, because I'm just amazed, and, and, and some people seem to get it, but uh, it's just amazing what the media uh, morons will miss. The they. They. The President of the United States is referring to the United States of America, the DOJ, that his own Attorney General runs, the federal government, he's referring to as they, as in the bad guys. They. So they now convict. They. The President of the United States is referring to the United States of America as they and the bad guys, not us, not we. No, no, no. And then he goes on after this incredibly uh, uh, telling use of the word they to say, well, what about all my enemies who have supposedly lied? How come they haven't been charged with perjury? Well, of course, uh, the obvious question that is, well, President Trump, you've got a sycophant a lackey in Bill Barr, a corrupt person willing to do your bidding on the Mueller report and elsewhere in an incredibly corrupt fashion, he's the attorney general. He's the head of the DOJ. Don't you think that if there was any evidence or at least enough evidence to get at least a charge here that that would have happened? Don't you think that that's inherently evidence that there isn't a crime that was occurred that, that occurred? In the in the situations that he suggested, that the president of the United States, by the way, this is also completely inappropriate. The president of the United States does not publicly just say these people should be charged with perjury when there's there's no evidence to support that, and we know that because his own Department of Justice has not charged them. Now, is it still possible that some of them might get charged in bogus allegations simply to placate the president of the United States? Unfortunately, that is. But that's the incredibly uh, excruciatingly stupid world in which we now live, incredibly dangerous world in which we now live, where this is basically we're turning into a banana republic. That's what this is. This is the stuff of a banana republic. And, and the other lesson from the Roger Stone uh, trial is it's just so much further evidence that uh, Robert Mueller really shit the bed. I mean, Robert Mueller, and I have to say, I was way ahead of this than anybody else. I, I predicted this sooner than anybody else did. Uh, I thought that he was not up to this job. I thought Republican I mean, Democrats were in dangerous territory, making him out to be some sort of a Superman, uh, and I, I said immediately, I said immediately that uh, he was somebody who uh, had gotten intimidated by this whole witch hunt claim that he was too old, uh, for this challenge, that he was somebody who uh, you know was way too by the book, that he was too naive, that he had circles run around him by Bill Barr, who uh, you know clearly didn't was not restricted by uh, the truth or what was right or the or the law or 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 anything with regard to character, and that he was this Boy Scout who uh, essentially wimped out. That was, and I think I have been vindicated on that take uh, now in an extraordinary way. And I, uh, I, I uh, leave it with the uh, report. Yeah, and that was even before his pathetic testimony. I uh, leave the answer to the uh, our report. And now that the Roger Stone trial has been completed. Uh by the way, a lot of that came about because of rod uh, Robert Mueller's report, but to me, it's obvious that Mueller's biggest mistake, and he made many. But the biggest mistake he made was in not pursuing a subpoena to get Donald Trump to testify as he had promised to him. That would have caused a delay. Mueller didn't think he had time, okay, fine, if they were going to shut him down, let Barr shut you down. Don't claim you're finished and give Barr the ability to destroy your entire work by lying about it for a couple weeks and setting a false narrative. And during that time period, during that time period, Roger Stone could have been convicted, as he is now, of lying to Congress about these key points. If, If Mueller had engaged in a subpoena fight, and made it a months-long story that the president is trying to dodge an under-oath interview in person with Mueller. And Roger Stone had been convicted of lying about the WikiLeaks situation to Congress. Then Mueller releases his report, Barr does not have the standing. He does not have the leverage to lie about the report because then nobody's believing it other than the most ardent cult members. If you remember when the Mueller report was released, there was even some anti-Trump media. They go, oh, wow, I guess there's really nothing here. Uh, he must have been exonerated. Uh, uh, there's no collusion, no obstruction. The, Bill Barr wouldn't lie to us ab- about that. Well, I told you that was bullshit, and I have turned out to be 100% right. Barr is maybe more corrupt than Trump is, and I realize t- hindsight is 2020. Um, but uh, we—if if Mueller had released his report after a subpoena fight, even a subpoena fight that failed, and the conviction of Roger Stone, the history is totally different here because Mueller won't get it. Doesn't get away with lying about it. Uh, Mueller is at that point at least in theory, more educated about what he's really up against. And uh, I, I think that Trump clearly gets impeached in the wake of the Mueller report, which dwarfs, in my opinion, the the significance and severity of the Ukrainian scandal. As bad as the Ukrainian scandal is, the Russia scandal really is Much, much worse. Uh, I have made the analogy, which uh, people in America will fully understand, maybe people outside of America won't, but you know, O.J. Simpson uh, killed two people and got away with it. And then many years later, he went to prison because of a memorabilia heist that was uh, directly related to the issues uh, of having uh, murdered two people. People don't understand that, but I was directly involved in that story. It's a whole other story for another day. The uh, the Russian scandal is the murders. The uh, the Ukrainian scandal is the heist in the Las Vegas hotel room that actually gets O.J. Simpson sent to prison. And that's what's going to happen here. We've got the the murders, which is the Russian investigation, where I'm not sure that Trump's even going to be impeached for anything directly related to that. Uh, but he will be impeached for the much lesser crime of the Ukrainian scandal. And a lot of it is for the fault of Robert Mueller, uh, who wimped out and proved himself to not be up to the task. And yes, once again, he crapped the bed in that horrendous testimony the day before the now infamous call between Donald Trump and the president of Ukraine. If it's in the report, I support it as it is, uh, as it is set forth. Yeah, that's great. Thanks so much, Robert Mueller. Thanks so much. I mean, look, I, I think Robert Mueller's a good guy. I get, some, I get attacked sometimes for being too tough on him. But uh, don't take this on if you're not up for it. If you're not up for it, let somebody else do the damn job. The country was at stake here, and you fucked up. God damn! Oh, I, I, I get. I, I actually have more anger to people like Robert Mueller, who who are supposed to be on the good side. The bad people, you know what? I have just a disdain for. I almost pity them, but Robert Mueller should have been better than that, and uh, and he wasn't. Now, uh, one of the things that Trump did was that he pardoned. I believe it was three members of the military who have uh, have been. Uh, uh, charged with, and I believe they've been convicted, of, they've been, of course they've been convicted, otherwise it wouldn't be pardons, they've been convicted of essentially war crimes against the advice of the Pentagon. The Pentagon has said, this is a bad idea. We believe these people are guilty, uh, and we believe that this is sending the wrong message. And not only has Trump pardoned them, he has been, of course, praised as being pro-military. This is not pro-military. This is actually very anti-military. By the way, it's it's anti the members of the military who testified against them, against their own self-interest. That's uh, he's betraying them, saying that their testimony didn't matter. These people sacrificed themselves, put themselves at risk to tell the truth. And Trump pulled the rug right out from under them. Not to mention the message that this sends to the rest of the world and how let's say our captured military will now be treated if the united states of america isn't going to take war crimes seriously why should they this and this is so typical of trump it's the exact opposite of what it appears to be the exact opposite of what his trump uh, his trump cult will think of it as being this is an anti-military provision that is disguised as trump being pro-military of course all by a guy who dodged the damn draft I mentioned earlier that the president spent at least part of yesterday at Walter Reed Hospital getting what was referred to as a partial physical. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm an ardent anti-conspiracy person, and I am very hesitant to uh, presume things that are uh, not based on facts that are actually in evidence. I will agree that this seems very strange. There are people who uh, are saying on Twitter, credible people are saying, uh, so wait a minute, So the president of the United States suddenly decided on a Saturday to head to Walter Reed Hospital to get a partial physical, and then, by the way, has no- nothing planned today, just so uh, he can show how incredibly uh, physically well he is and to get ready for the 2020 campaign. This was completely unscheduled. Uh, um, but, of course, the White House is putting out a, a North Korea-like statement that uh, the president is perfectly healthy, uh, nothing to see here. This was all just um, fine and normal, and uh, please go about your daily business. The president is awesome. and no one has ever been in better physical shape than Donald Trump. It seems weird. I will agree that this seems weird. Uh, It seems like something may have happened. Uh, What? Who the hell knows? Um, You know, I'm not wishing him ill physically. Uh, I find it interesting and disturbing, though, that I don't trust the White House to tell us what actually did and did not occur. That's the big issue here. We've now reached a point where the White House putting out a statement about the president's physical health, should not and cannot be trusted. And that's always been my number one problem of many with Donald Trump and his administration. He has no moral authority to do anything. He has no credibility to do anything. Forget about declaring war. I wouldn't trust him on anything, including why he went to the hospital, and nor should you. There's a lot of really good economic news, uh, which is good for Trump, not tremendous. I mean, there's still problems in the economy, and I I still believe that in the long run our debt is going to destroy us when I have no idea. But for the 2020 elections, boy, uh, the idea that Trump is going to be hurt by a recession seemed to be basically off the table now. I mean, still a long time to go, but a few months ago, I would have said Trump's going to be harmed by where the economy is headed in 2020. Now, it's pretty obvious to me he's going to be helped. The uh, the stock market, uh, which can always change on a dime, is at a record high, and that's before there's any finality to the uh, Chinese tariff uh, trade situation, which continually gets rumored to being resolved. I don't know if it ever will be or not. Uh, I'm amazed that the stock market is trusting people. <laughs> Speaking of trust or lack thereof, the stock market keeps trusting people on the Trump side that this is all going to be taken care of in a satisf- satisfactory fashion. If it doesn't, then maybe the the market will tank again. Um, but if it is, I mean, it looks to me, at least for the next several months, that we've got smooth sailing or mostly smooth sailing on the economic front, which is going to be a huge, huge boost to Donald Trump's reelection campaign. So, is it determinative with Trump? It probably would not be, but it but it certainly keeps him in the ball game. That's the main thing. It keeps him in the ball game. He's an incumbent president with a strong economy in peacetime. That is incredibly difficult to defeat, especially when you don't have a great candidate to do it. And the Democrats don't have a great candidate to do it. As I have been saying for at least a month, if not more. Uh, uh, South Bend, uh, Indiana, Mayor uh, Pete Buttigieg is making a move in Iowa. I predicted this before it happened, and the evidence is now pretty clear that it has happened. At least one poll now has him out in a fairly commanding lead. Another poll in Iowa has it basically a a three- or four-person race. Um, you know, I, I predicted this because I sensed that the media was going to tire of Elizabeth Warren, that they needed a, a new narrative, that people in Iowa would like Pete Buttigieg because he's good in a room, and that's important in Iowa. Uh, he's an intelligent guy, he's a good speaker, he's young. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things, if you're a, a Democrat, to like about him, especially in a place like Iowa. Uh, Indiana is basically a, a you know fellow Midwestern state. They like the whole small uh, city mayor thing there in Iowa. So uh, so this doesn't surprise me, and I and it wouldn't shock me at all if Pete Buttigieg ends up winning Iowa and doing pretty well in New Hampshire. He's got a major problem though with black voters, and that problem uh, is only getting exacerbated uh, because apparently uh, yesterday they put out a list of 400 alleged. African-Americans who endorsed Pete Buttigieg. And I didn't go deeply into this, but it appears as if almost half the people they named aren't even African-Americans. And a lot of people they named haven't actually endorsed him. Uh, So this is going to make a problem uh, even worse uh, for Pete Buttigieg. And without the black vote, it's really hard to win a Democratic primary, although in a four-way race, you're able to stay in there. And, and I think this is becoming more and more, obviously, a four-person race. Biden, judge Warren, and Sanders, with Sanders really having no chance of winning the nomination. I, I mean, you know, I think those are going to be the final four. And those are four people that are going to probably have about a quarter of the vote. And how you break that logjam, I have no idea. And I do know that it plays right into Trump's hands. Uh, there's been a lot of publicity around DeVell Patrick, the former uh, Democratic uh, uh, governor of Massachusetts, who also happens to be African-American. He's now uh, in the race. Uh, I don't think he's going to be that big of a factor uh, at all. Um, I mean, I, I, don't, I just don't see how that, how that changes anything. The Mike Bloomberg thing is still out there. I still don't believe, while Bloomberg does have something that Patrick doesn't, which is a massive amount of uh, personal wealth he can use— I just don't know to whom in a Democratic primary Mike Bloomberg appeals. I just don't see it. Now, if Biden were to get out, then I think Bloomberg could have some traction. But with Biden still there, uh, I just don't see either Patrick or Bloomberg uh, making a serious run at anything here. Uh, I mean, every little bit has a factor when, when we're, if you're dealing with a four person race, every percentage point is going to matter, but I just don't see them being major, major factors at this point. Um, And so with that said, uh, I'm not going to change the percentages on the, the, the two focuses that we have at the end of each uh, episode of the individual one podcast. I'm going to keep the numbers for now at exactly where they were in our last episode. And that is, I'm going to keep it at a 15% chance that Trump does not finish his first term in office and a 40% chance that he is reelected. That 40% number, just to be very clear, is really very dependent on what happens with Joe Biden. I've said this a million times, but it bears repeating. If it becomes clear Biden is not going to be the nominee and that it's either going to be Warren or Buttigieg, which is the most likely scenario, if it's not Biden, then that number would go up significantly. I think that number would go up to uh, instantaneously up to 60, 65 percent, if not more. Now, that's all dependent on what I continue to say is, is Trump's base level of support, that 41, 42 percent approval rating, is that enough to get him in the game in all the states that he needs to win easily, like For instance, as I mentioned in the last episode, Georgia, where he's losing uh, in one poll to every single major Democratic candidate. If it's not large enough, then you know what? All bets are off. But I'm presuming a good economy, we're at peacetime, he's impeached but not removed, that the impeachment... Fever doesn't catch hold within uh, any part of the Republican Party, and that uh, he is a a, a viable, uh, potent figure in 2020 with a good economy behind him. And under those scenarios, I think Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren would have a very difficult, not impossible, but a very difficult time uh, beating an incumbent president under those circumstances. Uh, That'll do it for episode number 70 of the Individual One podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this show via social media. Follow us on Twitter. At individual one pod. That's individual, the number one pod. My name is John Ziegler. You're listening to the Global Story Network.